welcome to You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Today we're talking about Splash, we're talking about it with the great J.V. Hampton Van Zant, who's been on our show many times before, and we hope will come on our show many times again. We love J.V. on this show. I'm one of your hosts, Alex Steed. I will soon be joined by my marvelous co-host, Sarah Marshall. Before we get into anything else, Los Angeles friends, I just want to let you know we will be having a You Are Good Live event on September 7th and another on September 8th. We're going to be talking about the movies Roadhouse on September 7th and Single White Female on September 8th. We'll be talking about those movies with our great friend Woody Sticks. The first part of the evening will be a You Are Good Live with Sarah, with Woody, with me, and the second part will be this event that Woody and I have had in the past, this stage show called Steady Bad Luckers, in which we talk about people who just can't catch a break throughout history. People who are glamorous, people who are not so glamorous. It sounds uh, maybe depressing. It's not. We find it very fun. We talk about the humanity. We talk about why these people appeal. It's very funny. There's a slide element. I think you'll like it. You can come for You Are Good and just do You Are Good, or you can stay for Steady Bad Luckers. It's your choice. But all the information is linked in the show notes. It'll be at the Zephyr Theater. That's on Melrose. It's super fun. A great little spot. And if this works, we'll do more You Are Good live shows. Again, September 7th and September 8th. Anyway, what's Splash about? Splash is a 1984 American romantic fantasy comedy film directed by Ron Howard. The screenplay is by Lowell Gantz, Babalu Mandel, and Bruce J. Friedman. The story is by Friedman and producer Brian Grazer. The film stars Tom Hanks, Daryl Hannah, John Candy, and Eugene Levy. The plot involves a young man who falls in love with a mysterious woman who is secretly a mermaid. <laughs> Thank you, wikipedia.org. Love that description. J.V. Hampton Van Zandt is a voice actor, writer, and podcaster. She's been on the show before. She's also making video essays. She's got one about mermaids. She's got a new one about mermaids again coming out uh, later on this week. So you can find all that linked in the show notes. Please look into the stuff that J.V. does. We love J.V. Hey, how are you doing out there? How's your life? How's your world? How is it all going? What are you watching? What are you reading? What are you doing? Let us know at You Are Good Pod on the website formerly known as Twitter. Let us know. Let us know on Instagram. That seems to be where a lot of fun is had. We're also on Blue Sky. I will get better at posting to Blue Sky. I promise. We have fun over in these places. This is where you can find us. Who knows where we'll be next week, but please find us. Let us know how you're doing. And don't forget that you, my friend, are good. You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies, is made possible with and by your support. Thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon and Apple Podcast subscriptions. We appreciate you. You help make this whole thing possible. We're artists. We're writers. By investing in this show and then getting bonus episodes uh, in return, you help make the whole thing possible. You help keep us in employment. And we really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for making this whole thing possible. It's because of you. Thank you. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you can. I believe you can do the same on Spotify, but you can write reviews on Apple, which I guess is important. I don't understand. I don't understand the whole review thing, but please review us. You know, five stars, really. It's a whole, it's a five-star operation, if I do say so myself, and say a couple words about why you find the show important to you. Our You Are Good merch with uh, the young Frankenstein-inspired uh, dogs 
created for us by Liz Clemo, the great Liz Clemo. Uh, that's available right now on shirts, t-shirts, sweatshirts, etc. for a limited time until September 4th. You can find it linked in the show notes. You can order them there. It's we're, They're only available sometimes. They're available right now. Please look into them if you're looking for something to wear that has the You Are Good logo on it. I love them so much. I love Liz's work. I am flattered and honored that she uh, she made our logo. Love Liz. Love those shirts. Hey, a couple of quick notes about last week's episode, Midsommar. A couple of people have reached out frustrated that we weren't more explicit in our conversation about the non-consensual nature of Christians sex towards the end of the movie. I'm sorry that we didn't explore that further in our exchange. I think we're all on the same page that kind of everything that happens at the Harga is a, is a trap and it's not consent across the board considering you're trapped, you're drugged, there's nefarious intent, you're being used for the purposes of breeding, like the, everything in there is not consensual and we i think we touched on that in a broader way but we weren't more explicit in our conversation and uh someone suggested maybe we edit the introduction and put a little note about that i think that's a great idea that's something we're gonna do so i will uh put that note in the beginning of the episode but i just want to let you know uh that we've heard from y'all yeah that's great feedback and the second piece of feedback is I referred at the beginning to a horror trip as handicap as horror, and I used it meaning it was antiquated, sort of an antiquated cliche, antiquated in its language, antiquated in its approach, but I wasn't clear. Uh, I should have used the term disability. It's not the right term. So I'm sorry that I used that. I wasn't clearer in my approach. And uh, I learned something from the folks who pointed that out to me. So, so thank you so much. Sorry that I did not use disability when I should have used disability in that case. Thank you for your patience with me and with us uh, and, and your feedback, of course. That's it for this sprawling introduction. Let's get into it. Let's talk about a mysterious woman who's secretly a mermaid. Hello, Sarah Marshall. Hello, Alex Seed. Or as we say in the ocean, <laughs> that was so good. Oh my God. I'm glad that I don't have any breakable glass around me right now. <laughs> Sarah, have you seen any movies lately in which finally learning how to swim is a action-packed metaphor? <laughs> Alex, have you seen the movie that is the only representation autistic girls had in the 80s? <laughs> I realized while I was looking at things about this movie that Starman came out the same year, which is plot wise very similar. And I feel like also is the only movie that autistic men had as representation that same year. So uh, there's a lot going on here. Who uh, who do we have with us and why are we covering Splash? Everybody, extra, extra, we have with us actual professional mermaid, our dear friend, J.V. Hampton Van Zandt. Hell yeah. Hello, everyone. Yes, yes, retired professional mermaid. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Went out on top. Yes. Uh, J.V. Hampton Van Zandt, what... Uh, what is your relationship with Splash? Why was this a movie you 
in particular wanted to cover and, and, and what does it speak to about your life experience, love, logging, lobster, lobster. Uh, this is the first movie I ever saw uh. when I was like freshly born, freshly out the womb. It was on in the in the delivery room. Uh. And um, my mom sort of just looked down at me and like looked up at the movie. It's like, huh, <laughs> it's Pisces season. I wonder if this is going to be like a big deal for my child. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I would say it was. I would say it was informative um, a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> this movie, I think in terms of movies that had a large effect on me as a human being, mm. this is one of the ones that has had the most significant impact on me as a person in that it fueled a career path at one point. In, like, shipping and receiving? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, in terms of being a professional mermaid, this was one of the... Um, sort of portrayals of what that sort of ideally would look like, what as a career path like I wanted to aspire to, also what I wanted my costumes to sort of invoke if someone looked at them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I feel like mermaids as like, not as a, a lifestyle is not the right term, but. It's kind of a lifestyle. It's a whole vibe. It is. Yeah, I feel like it represents different things to different people and like what do you think the mermaid aspect of this movie spoke to you then and like what does it speak to now huh that's an interesting question because like mermaids in general in like most fiction how we see them now is as like creatures that are free mm -hmm. from the expectations that we deal with on a daily basis anyway mm -hmm. so in that way the idea of living in the ocean sort of represents a type of freedom that we sort of long for, that I know very specifically I absolutely longed for. Mm -hmm. It seems like there's a lot of things you would not have to worry about if you lived in the ocean that, like, you do a little bit need to worry about if you live on land. And to that point, this is a rare, not a rare, but like a, a rare, I'd say, pre-21st century mermaid movie in which the mermaid doesn't give all that freedom up to be with a plain dude. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With the exception, I think, of the Shirley Temple adaptation of The Little Mermaid from 1964? Whoa. So was she the medium-sized mermaid? Was she 50? Like, how old was Shirley Temple? She was like a toddler in the 30s, so she would be just like a mid-30s mermaid, which we don't yeah. see enough of. Yeah. Let's be the clear. The mid-30s mermaid. I want it. Starring Emma Stone. <laughs> Sarah Marshall. Alex Steed, as I live and breathe. Before we go any further in this popcorn of ideas regarding mm. mermaids past and present, could you please take us on a little journey through uh, Splash Mountain? Oh my gosh, it's so true. Yes, I will. Everybody strap in, wait for a teenager to force a clicking belt over your torso and then think this isn't untight enough. And they're like, you seem safe. I'm certified. <laughs> yeah. Can you ever remember being put on a roller coaster by an adult? No, you cannot. Never. <laughs> no. And if you are, you're like, what? How? How'd that guy get here? Oh, yes. My God. <laughs> that guy is in an independent movie right now. He's on the IFC channel in 2004. <laughs> you come home from school, you're like, they shouldn't show something this depressing at 4:30. <laughs> So splash. Okay, so 
I had never seen the whole of this movie before today. Splash is a movie that starts off with little baby Tom Hanks on a three-hour tour outside Cape Cod. He either jumps or falls off the boat where his brother, little baby John Candy, is dropping shank so he can pretend to pick it up and lick up women's skirts. God. <laughs> this is the true golden era of just like one boy is a fucking unrepentant pervert. Absolutely true in movies between 1969 and 19... Yeah, there's always there's always one character that had the sexual energy of Freddy Krueger. Yes. <laughs> Just an absolute menace. This movie also starts off with this rendition of Wooly Bully. Oh, yeah. It does for some reason. I love that it does. And I was just really taken back to watching it the first time. And and I couldn't I wouldn't have been able to remember where this scene came from, but it lives in my head for some reason. And Carolyn from the other room is like, I don't like that song. And I was like, why? <laughs> and there was just like a long pause and she goes, It's unsettling. <laughs> It is. And I think that's why it was so successful. She doesn't like the monster they're describing. <laughs> well, and also the opening is like, I'm not going to get this wrong, but it's like Sally told Hallie about a thing she saw. Yeah. Franny told Janny, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like the best show song, Rock and Roll Dreams will come through. Well, thematically, the song works, too, because it's like people gossiping about some cryptid they saw. Oh, that's true. That makes sense. Yeah. I love this opening scene so much. Yeah, tell us about the opening scene, JV. I'm immediate I'm out, I'm outsourcing. I'm subletting my this part of my summary to you. Well, this is also the scene where I turned to my friends who were like watching this with me and I was like, "Wait a minute. I was recently diagnosed with autism." And I was like, "Oh. Oh. Uh, oh." Oh, little mm. Alan. Okay, interesting. Oh, little Alan. Oh, shit. Yes. And I was like, oh, okay, let's go through the rest of this movie and see if this mm -hmm. still stacks up. And this mm. was the first scene where like, okay, yeah, where a small child on a boat is just staring deeply at the water and just tuning out the rest of the world entirely and just staring at this water. I love it. And then decides to jump into it off of a boat, which is not a healthy or happy decision or a good real choice. That's impulse control issues right there. There we are. The entire environment, very stressful. Water, less stressful. So then he jumps into the water and he's like, this is fine. I'm fine here. I'm smiling under the water here in a way that I'm honestly kind of impressed at the child performer's ability mm. to do that mm -hmm. on both sides of this because little baby Madison shows up and uh, holds his hand and they're both just holding hands happy underwater, which is real cute and really very adorable. And then a large human man jumps into the water, picks up baby Tom Hanks, brings him back up to the boat, wherein everyone is like, why... Why did you do that? Like, w what was the reason? And like, they're not wrong for that question, but mm. Mm, there isn't one. The impulse mm -hmm. was there to dive right in. And without that, we wouldn't have the rest of this movie. And that's Splash. <laughs> I love this scene so much. Yeah, Splash is a movie where he dives against his will. Or maybe it, with answering to a secret will inside that he doesn't necessarily know about. And then he spends the rest of the movie learning how to dive again. Uh -huh. It's great. That is great. Wow. Yeah, it really is that, isn't it? Oh, 
Oh, I love this movie so much. <laughs> this movie is like one of my absolute favorites for this exact reason of like, each time I come back to it over all of the different years that I've come back to it, I've caught on to a completely different thing that I missed in every watch prior. I love it. So great. Yeah. So I'm going to try and do like a relatively quick summary. So Splash, he falls in, he meets Madison, they pull him out. Flash forward to this morning, New York City, grown up brothers, Tom Hanks and John Candy are running a fruit wholesaling business, I guess. And so Tom Hanks, kind of like the opening of Castaway is like yelling at a bunch of stevedores. <laughs> um, he's got a slimy cherry situation to deal with. His girlfriend calls him about something <laughs> urgent. He's like, I'll call you back. He forgets to call her back. And she's moving out because he doesn't love her. And he's like, she's right. I don't love her. Something's wrong with me. What's happening? He goes with John Candy to a wedding of one of the guys who works for their company, whose name I forget. And they get very drunk. And Tom Hanks is like, I'm going to go to Cape Cod. I feel better out there. And so he takes a cab to Cape Cod. When we see a cab driver at the end of the movie, is it the same cab driver? I don't know. I do like that one, that guy, though. I think it is. I think this guy comes back. Nice. They were like, we knew like cab drivers just were a character in any movie from like 1965 to 1995. Yeah. You'd have a cab driver in a movie playing an important role. I love it. Well, because cab drivers make plots possible. Yes, they do. Yes. This one facilitates that trip all the way out to Cape Cod, wherein we once again see this lovely man's impulse control issues mm. where one he makes this trip that must have cost him an absolute large amount of money also with no actual place to stay once you get there which is an absolute issue on cape cod by the way um <laughs> i've been there a lot finding a place to actually stay particularly depending on what season it is i'm actually fully during this movie not sure what season this is set in if it was winter plenty of places to stay he'll be fine whatever it looks like springtime or something yeah i mean or summer but she is it's it's warm weather or else she would be pretty uncomfortable although that calls in a question how mermaid circulation works yeah there's there's some holes she she's like where i'm from the water never gets cold and it's like bitch you're from cape cod she's from massachusetts like what <laughs> madam like it's always cold but she's from the magical undersea city by massachusetts <laughs> i guess it's oh you're right you're right once we get to the underwater city at the end uh, is where i have nine thousand questions because that's a wild thing to drop that's where george clooney in the perfect storm lives now he just got <laughs> got into the mermaid sex zone <laughs> That's also where a Titanic heaven resides. Ah, that's why it never gets cold. <laughs> oh. And so Jack and Rose are eating <laughs> eating lobsters like apples. Oh. <laughs> oh, good for them. Bless them. There is somewhere in the world where the folklore of mermaids is that they're just people who died at sea. That's nice. Yeah. Like, I think it's a sort of offshoot of the myth of the woman in white. You should never wear white or else you'll die and become a ghost. Exactly. Because you never hear about the woman in the Puma sweatshirt. Just <laughs> <laughs> like, don't dress like a ghost, I guess. A woman who had a, gra a graphic tee representing an indie bin from the 2003 that I can't quite remember. The, the hives. Yeah, you never hear about that. And that's who should be haunting your dorm, really. She had a 2X hive shirt on. <laughs> she died of scurvy. 
You said scurvy. We talked about cabs. I need this is the time where I have to mention that one time I lost on cash cab, which I was on in a cab oh. because of a question related to scurvy. I just need people Damn. to know that fact about me. <laughs> oh, my God. What was the question? It was about um, it, it, I forget how it was phrased, but it had something to do with, you know, what what were limes good for keeping away when you were out at sea? I was going to guess, is it British people are called limeys because why? That's, that's exactly, Sarah, Sarah, that was exactly the question. Uh, that was exactly the question. Classic trivia question. That's so great. <laughs> so for people who don't remember it, I only know it from the 30 Rock parody. Cash Cab was a show where like, you would try and catch a cab and they would be like, welcome to Cash Cab. <laughs> yeah, you no, you, you're totally right. But the tiny caveat is you get into the cab and they're not like you're on a game show. Want to be on a game show? They start driving like a cab driver, like they're going in your direction. And then you're just in the cab and there's no way to opt out of it. They're just like, you're on this show now. And you're like, oh, my God, what is real? Oh, my God. At that point? And imagine if you were on, you know. PCP or something. <laughs> oh my yeah. God. It's as disorienting as they're like, we're going to the upside down. And you're like, okay, I guess let's do it. <laughs> and then your grandpa sees you in a waiting room two years later. <laughs> my father was like, I've watched every episode of Cash Cab that's ever happened. I still haven't seen your episode. Like right up to the bitter end, he was waiting, but <laughs> oh, it, didn't, it didn't work out. Uh, the Cash Cab really has blood on their hands when you think about it. <laughs> if anybody somehow has access to the Cash Cab archives and you can you can do a quick name search hey. and see if Alex Steed's in there, I'd love to know. About if, I love thinking about who, someone out there has to have access to the Cash Cab archives. Someone does, though, is the thing. They have a big skeleton key. <laughs> <laughs> Someone make this happen. I require this personally. <laughs> so what's Splash about? Great question. <laughs> so after like he gets somehow magically to Cape Cod on some fair for 200 plus miles, absolutely not, but whatever. So after that, he gets to Cape Cod. He stands up on a boat after a dude, oh my God, horror situation. I'm on a small, tiny, tiny little boat trying to get to an island with a person who decides they want to rock the boat no yeah no was that guy's name fat his name fat larry i think yeah. so in that way that old men love to scare you they're like come on let me scare you this used to be God. the only entertainment we had every new england accent in this movie is a monstrosity <laughs> absolutely the one thing i will give them for this scene this does perfectly capture the mass hole spirit it really it truly <laughs> does i thought jv i thought that same thing as i was like this is uh, so on brand it's like oh you're upset by this i'm gonna do it hard at you <laughs> So we also meet Eugene Levy. Oh, my God. Which, like, for a minute there, forgot that this was the first movie I ever saw him in. I think same. Yeah. I always forget Eugene Levy is in this movie, and I think everyone does. Mm -hmm. But he's, like, such an important part of the flavor combination. And if you were a child like me who grew up somehow on reruns of SCTV, having <laughs> Eugene Levy and John Candy in a movie together, real treat. Uh, real lovely treat. Mm -hmm. So then he falls off the boat, gets his head hit by the boat for hitting the boat with a hammer, which I thought was a that was a decision, whatever. And then Madison saves him. Again. This is twice. She loves men who are going to die if not for her. <laughs> 
if not for her holding their hand. Absolutely. He does critically lose his wallet here, which is how Madison is able to find him again because she does speak English, y'all. Absolutely. And knows how to read a map from a boat at the bottom of the sea. She swims up to the Statue of Liberty, which is so fun. It's so fun. Great scene. She's connected oh. because she has the wallet and she's not speaking. Uh, and it's it's assumed that she doesn't speak English. She's connected with Tom Hanks. And then we spend a good chunk of the movie doing one of my favorite things in any movie, which is someone who is not used to a place learns about the place. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's big. It's mm-hmm. this. It's a nightmare before Christmas. Hmm. It's fish out of water. Literally. I think the thing that that specifically does in this that I really liked was that I at the time that well at the time being like my entire childhood didn't have like a grasp on what like New York City was like Mm. because I Mm. was a baby and how would you know if you didn't actually live in the city babies famously very rarely drive (laughs) (laughs) exactly so like I remember thinking about this sort of idealized version of like at least part of New York and thinking that because of this movie a little bit. And we get some great pre like early to mid eighties, New York stuff. We have a not even 10 year old world trade center. We have five to six black guys listening to a boombox and dancing by (laughs) themselves, which is like a favorite scene from any of these movies that used to happen. We have um, porno theaters galore. We have a guy spinning dough at a pizzeria. We have evil dead playing at a movie theater, a great pre Giuliani post collapse, New York. Oh, yeah. I think even just that scene of like having the gentleman with the beatbox, there's a way that that can be portrayed in this sort of environment where that would be not like I I think modern portrayals of that are honestly like in most movies, it's seen as a nuisance and a hassle because that's generally how the rest of New York apparently sees it. But sure, mm. this doesn't do that. And I, I like that it doesn't go that direction with it. Mm. I love that interaction for mm-hmm. a couple of reasons. One is like based on the time, like hip hop in New York is 10 years old. Like yeah. it's still brand new and it's around and it's like happening. And that's great. And I love that it's just portrayed in passing, which is wonderful. Exactly. And I like that. Like it's not played as a joke, really, although his reaction is. But it's like. Mm-hmm. There is kind of a suggestion that like a white lady jumping into that situation and starting to dance is like out of the expectation with Mm. regard to sort of what the social dynamic is. Yeah. And it acknowledges that, but it also just like shows where she's at in her journey of just being like, I love everything. Like everything. It's like the what's this song from Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, So I I really like what that scene accomplishes. It's such a small thing, but it does a lot. It really does. That small scene. There are lots of other just like this movie generally is also really good just in terms of cinematography. Like mm-hmm. there's so many shots. My friend Sarah, who I was watching this movie with on the rewatch, their absolute favorite scene is the scene where she like just almost parkours herself up onto the lights to just sort of hold the light and be like, pretty. <laughs> the energy of that. It's brilliant. Um, I, I just it. love it so much. Perfect. But yeah, so they. it's just them being in love and being very excited and a lot of him trying to follow a script for romance that it seems like he has heard about but is not quite fully familiar with and realizing that the script itself doesn't work because it's not a one-size-fits-all for every situation Mm -hmm. and that's another check in the autism column Mm. (laughs) this is kind of a strange movie in that you have a male character who's like i just want to like 
find someone to love and settle down for the rest of my life. It's like an objective yeah. that you don't see very often. I don't know. You maybe you saw a lot more then, but like you don't see it very often anymore that this guy's objective is very hmm. not just old fashioned, but like being romantic. Well, men in movies now just want to save the universe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like with this, his goal is I'm a romantic or at least that's yes. what I'm told I am. So I'm going to do that. And not necessarily knowing what that necessarily means because he's tried this before with other people and it hasn't quite gone mm -hmm. the direction. There hasn't been that spark, as it were. But this time there is a bit of spark and it's real, real sweet. And they have their ups and downs throughout the course of the story until at some point things seem to be going really well. Eugene Levy shows back up, exposes her as a mermaid, which makes the news for sure. <laughs> and he's been chasing them around with like a water pistol and has failed and <laughs> accidentally soaked the same fancy lady and been beaten up by her husband so many times that you kind of don't think he's going to do it. Oh, totally. And then he pulls it off. And right. also while he's being hustled out by the Secret Service, who think he's going to assassinate the president because the there's a presidential <laughs> banquet in this movie for some reason. God. I love how bananas it gets in the last 20 minutes. They really go for it. And then even like when it gets to the I do appreciate them checking Tom Hanks to make sure that he's not a fish. That <laughs> hilarious. That Those scenes where he's in the tank and he's mm -hmm. centered in the tank are oh, really, yeah. to your point about cinematography, they're really gorgeous scenes. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So one of the people that I have met from this is the man who made several of the prosthetic tales for this. And one of the things that he had to create was for that bit where she's already entered the water. Oh, also there's that lovely transition where the lower part of her legs are in the water and you just see like a patch of her thigh and then the scales sort of seem to almost vacuum seal form on her. Yeah, I love that. That's brilliant. That's such a cool transition to see in like 84. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was very cool. Yeah, it's just so pretty. And then she gets into the water, she sort of slides in and the tail just pops out and sort of unfurls like a little fan. That's a really pretty a really pretty one, though that had to be made as a separate prosthetic because none of those could happen and still be attached to her while it was happening. Like, there's mm -hmm. logistically no way that that would work. But yeah, so that scene must have taken so much time to film. She's wearing at least two different prosthetics during that. It's a lot, but it's all very, very well done and very, very beautiful. And it's just a, a piece of technical brilliance that I love and that I want us to use more in. Mm -hmm. I'm one hoping that there are just generally in the future going to be more mermaid movies in general. And I would like them to rely a little bit less on CGI, partially because I have literal yeah. friends who make brilliant, amazing costumes yeah. that will hold up on screen brilliantly. So, I mean, you know, I I want my friends to get work. So that's why I advocate for that. But also it just there's something about it looking more natural as well. And just, mm, I don't know, it looks more natural and looks pretty. And also if it needs to be that, like, the actors themselves are not always actually underwater, because that does take a lot of energy and time to learn how to do. So, like, every scene where Madison is underwater and, like, has to hold a facial expression without letting out any air, mm -hmm. even I, a trained professional, I still struggle with doing that. But in order for the photography to work, in order for filming anything to work, that does require like just an immense amount of like training and preparation that I don't know necessarily 
how everyone would be willing to do that. But I would hope that they might be. But also, you know, logistically, that might just be difficult. But I know so many trained professionals who would also work very nicely as stunt doubles for any of these people who are also great actors as well. I want to make sure we talk about for anyone interested in professional mermaiding, mm-hmm. how one gets one start, because oh, I yeah. think I tend to assume that you're just born into a mermaid family <laughs> or something. But that can't always be it. So part of the way that I found it was I found online forums very early on. And I hung out there, talked with people there. At that point, some people were considering doing it for like birthday parties and things, but hadn't really blown up yet because the prevalence of like movie screen accurate costumes wasn't widely available yet because they were wildly expensive. And who had that kind of money? The answer is some people had that type of money, but not everybody. So once those started to become like, a slightly cheaper thing to be able to be made, more and more people started to do it. And more and more people from that got to see, and this was happening throughout the early to mid 2000s. So from that, people were able to make a job of it, make a living doing it, and were able to share their information about how one can then make a living doing all that And right when figuring out how to do that and people sharing stories about how to do that was when I sort of joined as a professional. I was a hobbyist prior to that. Mm -hmm. And then that's when I sort of started doing it. Basically, the job winds up being, for me, be kind of like a birthday clown, but no one is afraid of you. And everyone is super, super excited about the numerous facts about the ocean that you have stored in your brain. Because you would know and Mm -hmm. you would want to hear from someone who's observed them directly. Exactly. And it was just really, really fun. I also like to do storytelling, like story reading things for kids. So at one point, I sort of had a moment where I was like, I don't, these stories don't feel the most children appropriate because most mermaid stories, they're rather adult. Um, So or have like really sad endings. So I wanted to make some stories that didn't have grisly endings. (laughs) And so I wrote a couple kids books. And like I had those sort of around and I would read those. And I did a lot of uh, readings at the local museum um, in my county that has a little aquarium in the bottom of it. And that aquarium is featured at the beginning of the books. So that was always fun. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Mermaids rarely get to have fun now that I think about it. Exactly. The stakes are always so high. They're always tasked with assimilation. Yeah. In terms of how to like start... The first thing to do, get yourself a fabric tail and try a little bit of swimming. And I I recommend the fabric tail because they tend to be cheaper. And if you don't wind up enjoying all of it, you won't have spent like a metric fuck ton of money on like a thing you're never going to wear. Mm -hmm. Like the money it takes to take a cab to Cape Cod. Exactly. And, you know, once you do a bit of practicing and you feel like you really enjoy it and you have a really good time doing it. You can look into some of the mermaid schools that are in the area, or you can even find a local professional in your area and ask if they will teach you. And Mm -hmm. um, a lot of us would be willing to. So yeah, it's really great. I love it. Amazing. All right. So where are we in splash description? Are we where, where, how does splash end? Alex, would you like to take us through the exciting climax? I'd love to remind me of where we are. We got as far as Eugene Levy proving that Madison is a mermaid by appearing to be an assassin and then squirting her with water. 
I kind of love this specifically because Eugene Levy is confronted with the fact that everyone knows that she's a mermaid. She's going to get dissected. Um, they're mm-hmm. running tests. They want to mm-hmm. see her insides. She's like a sexy E.T., mm-hmm. an E.T. who's sexy in a different way, to be clear. We have kind of like an E.T. twist. And he just says so plainly a way that you kind of wish more people would say, which is like, essentially, he didn't realize he was going to ruin their lives. He just didn't think about what was going to happen mm-hmm. when he was trying to advance his own career. And you you feel like that's like a thing you wish more people would uh, say out loud. <laughs> yeah, I like that he sort of like recognizes that he made a mistake. Totally. That his greed went a little too far. I love it. I love that that happens. I, I completely agree. Like, I remember when I was little, it's very easy to look at him and just sort of be annoyed that he exists. But now as an adult, I'm like, I honestly just appreciate that he has like a very clear moment where there is a change of heart. And I do know that part of that change of heart came from not just seeing that she was now like literally dying, which also the effects on the tail for when she is dying and everything just looks so gray and like there are like things falling off of it. Incredible. Beautifully done. Love it. But then because the other doctors are like, okay, now you found her, but like girl and like, now it's ours and now she's here Mm -hmm. and you are no longer a part of this and you're not going to get credit for this discovery right which is something that like you have to grow up on 80s movies to know is an Mm -hmm. inevitability when you find something because every 80s (laughs) movie for children was like Mm -hmm. if you find something the government's gonna kill it like i'm so sorry but that's just what's happening Mm -hmm. and we get this is where it turns into the movie stripes kind of where it's like you have a comedy and then there's like a whole like quasi action quasi espionage (laughs) Mm -hmm. kind Uh. of kind of mel brooksian humor (laughs) scene where they have to sneak their way in to get her out of this facility, which requires um, which requires Tom Hanks and John Candy, who are being led by Eugene Levy, to pretend that they're Swedish doctors. They're, they're Swedish uh, scientists. And this is also in the time where, like, you don't need, like, punch cards or biometrics to get into a place. You just need to con your way through one dumb soldier. By very specifically telling that one soldier that you have a 12-inch penis and he'll just let you in, I guess. Yeah, and very, very <laughs> unluckily, this guy knows how to speak Swedish and uh, asks them where they're from once he figures out that, you know, their story sounds fishy. I'm so sorry. Part of the <laughs> well done. And John Candy says something that he's learned from watching Swedish pornography, which is, as you said, he has a 12 inch penis. And that's enough to let him get into the facility. Big dick candy energy. He's able to get in. They break yes. her free. Mm-hmm. It's great. They're in hot pursuit by, you know, government agents and soldiers, et cetera. And they get to the water. And this whole time it's been a countdown in which she's been saying she has six days, five days, et cetera, to go. She's on a lunar schedule. She's <laughs> sure we is. Can absolutely, we can absolutely <laughs> talk about that some more later, which is so good and important. But she mm-hmm. she has to go into the water. She can't stay. She decides to stay. But if she stays, she's in pursuit. They're going to dissect her. Mm-hmm. And it is decided kind of last minute. She has to jump in the water to get free. She's getting out of the way. He suddenly decides that he wants to be with her although it sounds like if he goes into the water he can never return yeah and he decides last minute that that's what he's going to he's going to give up christmas with john candy the 12 inch penis pervert 
Uh, yeah, sorry. And he's gonna go. Yeah, he's gonna go spend time on the bottom of the ocean mm-hmm. with her. He doesn't even know if they have movies down there, right? We don't know. And I kind of love that it's not like we don't get like five years in the future. They have a school of little adorable fish with them. We we don't get that. We just see that he's beginning his life down there. Mm-hmm. Can you? And also, could you imagine? It kind of seems like purgatory, right? Because they're like. He's like, you can be with the one you love, but only the one you love for the rest. You can't see anyone else from your time. I love that it's an inversion of like what normally happens to the female mermaid. Exactly. Yeah. It's so great. And he's just in his regular civilian clothes on the bottom of their place hanging. And also, does he have to hold hands with her for the rest of his life? Great question. So, okay. Technically speaking, there are answers to these questions. Oh, they're all in Splash 2. Oh, there's a Splash 2? Excuse me? There's Splash 2. It's spelled T O O. Yeah. Who is in it? I just bet Tom Hanks is not in it. Tom Hanks is not in it. I literally don't remember who was in this, but it came out in 1988. Wow. All right. Todd Waring as Alan Bauer. No one could tell the difference. I'm positive. (laughs) And Amy Yasbeck as Madison. Oh, it was a, it was a, it was a two part TV movie on Disney Sunday Movie, which is great. Nice, sure was. Which I've never actually seen this one. I'm imagining there were no tetes in that movie if it was for the Disney. Probably not. Uh, <laughs> probably not. Yeah, we haven't met. There's well, you mentioned the nudity, but there's quite a bit of Daryl Hannah's little tushy in this movie, and I I think it's a. That's a positive. Oh, there is. There would always, when I was a kid and there were the, uh, you know, the old fashioned porno mags, there would often be a section in those magazines that would be like, here's nudity on screen. And they'd have Mm -hmm. screen grabs from movies. And I'm like, why? The rest of this magazine also has nudity. Like, why are we showing a rough screen grab? Well, Playboy (laughs) always did that, too. And they would have like sex and movies 1984. And then just it was an aggregate of every nipple Uh, in cinema. Which is what they should have called it, to be honest. Yeah, there. This movie's rich in nips. I did just find a link to the entire movie on YouTube, so there's that. That sequel is available. So there's your Friday night and mine too. Yep. Joey Travolta is in Splash Two. FYI, Joey Travolta. He'd better be a merman. Wow, Mer Travolta. <laughs> I cannot wait to check this out later it's wild that i i didn't know that it was available there because for a a bit of time it was just not a thing that anyone could find it was a lost film yeah there was no like official release in north america but there was one in the uk france and germany for some reason wow they really get our drags entertainment wise right oh man (laughs) but like i'm excited to dive into that later tonight honestly like i (laughs) to dive into it uh, anyway um but yeah like there are (laughs) apparently answers in that and apparently at some point i guess they are able to come back yeah and in this and in that movie apparently they're spending time on a deserted island which already Mm -hmm. does not adhere to the logic that has been laid out in Splash 1, but that's fine. Exactly. I don't think they cared a whole lot about the logic of Splash 1. Yeah, they needed to make that Splash money when they could, while the iron was hot. (laughs) And it surely didn't make that money. (laughs) I think that, like, one thing that's interesting about how media has changed since the mid-80s is that I think that, honestly, our interest in canon has a lot to do with 
kind of fan fiction yes. and nerd culture becoming so much more significant totally. and creators having an eye towards that because fans have mm -hmm. a lot more power now, I think, or maybe are yeah. perceived as such. Sarah, that's such a great point. And just like the ability to like map continuity, I feel like is there, like right. your ability to have access to all the media all the time and like map the continuity in real time right. and then yeah. and then be real loud about it. Yeah, I mean, I remember in terms of like not even necessarily looking at the canon because for this movie, I think the canon was basically just the first one because most people didn't have a access to viewing the second one at all. It right. would have been difficult to have that be any type of canon. It's about what people can remember. Yeah. yeah. Like I remember in early days of Wikipedia, this movie didn't even have a plot summary. Like there was nothing on it. We were just in the dark. You just had to watch the goddamn thing. I was just like, oh, I guess it exists. Doesn't really say what it's about, but okay. It sounded like it was going to be such a seedy fact. It's like the <laughs> early days of Wikipedia. Right. Splash didn't have a plot summary. <laughs> <laughs> Splash 2 didn't have a plot summary. It just goes to show how little was filled in in the world's yeah. greatest information bank. <laughs> right? We were living in the absolute dark in 2006. At least it exists now, and I appreciate that. But, like, Thank God. I think with, like, how I, as a younger fan of this movie, was, like, the way I always sort of imagined it was, one, I just imagined that Tom Hanks became a merman. I just sort of assumed that that happened, that there was some type of magic in that little weird undersea palace. I just sort of assumed that that's what happened over there. He becomes a fruit wholesaler. <laughs> <laughs> just goes on to live his life down there. And I think one of the logistical reasons why he wouldn't be able to come back if I had to sort of fill in the gap is that, like, if he came back, then the government would notice that he came back and would be able to track that he was back and then track him back to where the mermaids are, which would then doom all of mermaid civilization. Yeah, and maybe in our fan sequel, they can, like, live, you know, right? under the radar in a beach town in Florida down the beach from Will Graham. It makes sense. <laughs> I'm so glad you said, we talked about this at the beginning, but I'm sorry, so glad you brought up that he's a fruit wholesaler. This is a, just a job you do not see in movies to have your main right? character have. Uh, I know I love it. It made me really happy. It seems so stressful. It does. Those cherries get slimy so fast. <laughs> Where are my cherries? You don't get your money and you starve and you die. I'm like, oh, okay. That is how people act in that situation, I feel like. But it was so good. I was like, God. John Candy showing up in his like Miata, just <laughs> crashing into a bunch of stuff. It's so good. I oh, love supporting God. Candy. I was, I forget even too. when this happened, but this happened in my life recently where I was talking to somebody and I was like, you want to get this thing, this thing, this thing, to this things? And I was like, <laughs> you know what I think once a day is John Candy and the Blues Brothers saying, you want an orange whip, orange whip, orange whip, three orange whips. Oh, uh, I love him so much. He's perfect. Colin Hanks is making, who had a relationship, obviously, through Tom Hanks with John Candy, is making a documentary on John uh, Candy, which I'm really excited about. Oh, I'm sure that's going to be brilliant. This is car 55. We're in a truck. <laughs> John Candy sort of has the role that I appreciate a lot in this, which is the person who who seems like they're happy with their weird, perverted little life. Um, I say lovingly as a fellow weirdo and pervert. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you say that with love. 
He seems very happy. Yeah, like he's having a lovely time. But then there's just an emotional moment where Alan can't quite decide whether or not he wants to marry the fish lady, which like unrelatable content asking whether or not like somebody would marry Daryl Anna. Like what? Mm -hmm. Like, no, unrealistic to pause and think for that long about it. No, the yeah. answer would have to be yes. I just, I don't, I don't see a, I don't see a way around that personally. Like this movie's got <laughs> some plot holes and this is one of them. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. You just learn how to be a fish. Get over it. Exactly. Like it'll be okay. Well, can we talk about, GV? do you remember the ending of um, Some Like It Hot? Which I feel like this has some resonances with. I don't remember the ending of that one. There's this like older playboy who's fallen in love with Jack Lemon mm. while he's in drag. I guess like Jack right. Lemon. Jack Lemon. <laughs> I thought maybe I've been saying it wrong this whole time and I was like, oh no. <laughs> if I had a southern accent, I would call him Jack Lemon, which is the more charming way to say it. And so he's like trying to talk the guy out of marrying him and he's like, I have a terrible past. I, I've lived with a saxophone player and he's like, I forgive you. And Jack Lemon is like, I can never have children. And he's like, we'll adopt some. Oh. And he takes off his wig and he's like, oh, for God's sake, I'm a man. And Joey King is like, well, no one's perfect. And that's the end of the movie. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, he because Tom Tom Hanks, not Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks says something like when it's clear that a secret's being revealed. Yeah. And he asks point, he's like, have you been a man in the past? Yeah. <laughs> and that's on the list of things he doesn't care about. Which I appreciate. Right. Totally. Exactly. Where I was like, wow, wow, wow. This is surprising. Yeah. This and some like it hot. There's something very thinking beyond the categories that may be hardened more after this time yeah. or I yeah. don't know but oh. I would love to talk more about the emotional resonances of basically the heart of the third act which is that Madison has a secret she doesn't dare tell Alan that she's a mermaid and then once he finds out you know he has to deal with that she's convinced he won't love her anymore and what does it mean to love a mermaid or to be loved as a mermaid or to love as an Alan for mm. that matter. Yeah. I think the thing that resonates the most with me about this is that, yeah, there's a moment where he sort of is questioning whether or not he can go through with any of it or all of it. And ultimately having a moment of realizing like, and partially because his brother's like, do you remember how the hell happy you were just with her this whole time? Which is just such a, mm -hmm. a lovely, beautiful moment. Like, and just thinking like, yeah, you've never been this happy in your whole life and you're just sort of going to walk away from this because it got difficult, because it got slightly difficult, because, I mean, admittedly, because one of them's not human, but whatever. Like, Sirius going to walk away after all of that. The business part of her is human. Exactly. <laughs> and like, the whole, the, all of this seems like it'll work. <laughs> the business part of her is human. Has to be a t-shirt. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> means whatever you want it to mean. <laughs> they can clearly procreate. They've done this already. Like, I mean... Oh, yeah. They can do the nasty. She just has to make sure she's dry when she gives birth <laughs> or else that baby's not going to have anywhere to come out. Yeah. Yeah, like, the conundrum, right, is that he's a romantic. He's been spending the entire time going, like, I just want to find someone to love to settle down. I want to be these old people ice skating. Like, this is what mm -hmm. I want. And then... 
when presented with the reality, which is like you kind of have to adapt and you might find love in places that you don't exactly expect it. And it's like kind of a shitty thing to expect it to come Mm -hmm. to you in full form, ready to fully adapt to your situation. That's where he gets uneasy and is clearly where he's been uneasy for years and where everything stops. Mm -hmm. And it's when that's again, that's when he realizes he has to dive into the water because like he has to be like, oh, this didn't come to me exactly as I expected it. And I have to shift a little bit in order for love to show up for me. It's not just going to like show up in my lap. Like we have to meet, you know, partway on it. Yeah. The love is something worth working on message of that is really lovely. I, It's one that I think has informed a lot of my life just generally. Like it's one that I sort of hold on to of like, if something is actually worth working on, like work on it, go for it, go for it and try it out. (laughs) Literally an entire career path that I wasn't sure was going to work out. And then admittedly, like, yes, I did have to leave it. But like it was still even just that was like, I don't know, I found something that I enjoy and I kind of want to keep going with it. Let's see how that goes. And Actually being willing to take that leap and go for it is a thing that this movie definitely embodies in a really nice way. And I absolutely love this movie for showing me that. Admittedly, I was like way too young to see this movie. I think at like 12 hours old is a little like that's a little youthful to watch this movie in particular. But like, you know. But the nudity would be so relevant to your immediate future. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Sarah, how does how does all that stuff land to you? Like, what, what do you think is going on there? I mean, continuing my theory that Madison is an icon for women on the spectrum, Mm -hmm. I feel like in this case, being a mermaid is about like he understands based on kind of what he's experienced of just the way she is in the world that like she's different from anybody that he knows um, or from what he's been taught to expect, like the woman that he marries will be like. Right. You know, and before we had language or science or medicine to understand the way people were and needed to be respected for simply, you know, being the only way that they could exist, I feel like we often had like stories and fables that in a very broad way or in an, an easy to read allegorical way could kind of address the feelings that people had, but that they couldn't understand their reasons for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very well put. And I feel like that applies to anyone who is not showing up in a quote unquote like normative fashion. Mm -hmm. You know, that's often the barrier between and that's what the movie is speaking to pretty explicitly. But like the barrier between someone being like, I just want to love someone. I just want to find love or whatever is often that they're expecting it to come in a particular shape or form or presentation and Mm -hmm. don't know what to do when it comes in another one outside of just freak out a whole lot. Right. And being like, I want love. I want the white picket fence. And it's like, well, what do you want? Do you want a person as they come? Or do you want like a certain fence aesthetic? Because you can make your own fence out of wood. And there's no better Tom Hanks than exasperated Tom Hanks who doesn't quite know what to do with it's in front of him. Yeah. Whose voice rises to a comedic pitch. (laughs) Yeah, he did like 13 movies in a row in the 80s in which he was dealing with that in one way or another. And so so we very much get him freaking out in the face of it and then having to learn that, uh, you know, you you get a shot, motherfucker. It's not just about the other. (laughs) There's no mermaids. There's no mermaids in dating. (laughs) Oh, man. And also in terms of representation of people on the spectrum, I think. It is also worth, I suppose, noting that Madison is, in fact, played by an autistic actress. And I think that that is wonderful. Mm. Yay. She's so autistic, she married Neil Young. (laughs) 
<laughs> Two icons. Yeah. With that representation and like, for example, for me with my like extremely recent diagnosis of like a month ago, which yay. Hooray. That made so much sense to me. Oh my God, dude, it makes so much <laughs> sense. It Everything immediately clicked. Loved it. Great. Wonderful. So wonderful. Zero. Like, yeah, little small piece of me was like, wish this happened like For sure. years ago. Yeah, but like, right. this is fine. This is fine. Happy this is here. But even then being able to track like, oh, this is reminding me of every other time that I have been met with like some slight change in the way that the idea of like what this is supposed to be is going to look and I need to adapt to it but being sort of unable to adapt to it like immediately and needing to take a little bit of time and have like several conversations with a bunch of people who can sort of explain something to me and um, sort of like walk me through that process a little bit, even with the ultimate argument just being like, but were you happy though? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and my like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that just being the extent to which I need to like actually realize that something wasn't necessarily all that bad. There's a there's a bright spot to it is needing to shift perspective. And but knowing that that can be a kind of difficult thing. I had a lot more empathy this time around for that whole section mm-hmm. of story in a way that I didn't initially in the first several viewings. and like. I don't know. It's just it, there's it's a movie that I like coming back to every two to three years and finding a new thing and a new perspective on it. And a movie that I think holds up surprisingly well, considering it being. God, how old is this movie? From 84, 85, right? Yeah. Damn, this movie's almost 40. OK, this movie is almost 40. So there's that fun we love it the 80s will always be 20 years ago for me i think all of our sense of time remains what it was when we were teenagers agreed this does remind me of a fact that is only tangentially related to this but one thing i love about the world that we exist in right now at this moment in time is that there is still one living being that has been around since before the Little Mermaid fairy tale was written, mm-hmm. and it is a tortoise. Ah, love it. <laughs> it's, it is Jonathan, the queer tortoise, Aww. who is has been mated to his partner, Frederick, since 91, I believe. Mm. So they're going strong. Yay. You don't have to tell me that Jonathan and Frederick are queer based on names alone. Oh, right. I mean, <laughs> I mean. Aww. Did Jonathan and Frederick go to the opera? <laughs> I wish they did, but I don't know how they would. They're giant, and I don't know how they move around. It's insane. They're so big. They do go to P-Town in (laughs) August, which is great. Good for them. (laughs) They're flown out to P-Town once a year. We love it for them. Um, (laughs) I love them very much. And (laughs) one part of that pairing has been around for 191 years and is the oldest living animal that means Frederick's kind of a twink, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, obviously. And, and Jonathan and Frederick, Frederick is, yeah, for sure. So one of the things that I think is always sort of universally true with a lot of mermaid stories, particularly the more modern ones, is that every single one of them is in some way, shape, or form a trans narrative. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that last little bit that we went through about, you know, that entire sort of love arc there 
including the <laughs> having a secret needing to be revealed. And then upon mm-hmm. secret being revealed, there is slight turmoil for a few minutes. And then things just sort of wind up being fine. Winds up being better trans representation than I've seen in almost any movie with the <laughs> noted exception of Barbie. But I will leave that just as a thing. Mm. Love it. God, I love that movie. Anyway, um, that's <laughs> but like it does a good job at being representation of like of a trans storyline that like is a common one. It's one that's used in like a lot of different things, but in a way where it has an ending that is considerably more positive than any other type of narrative in that regard. Mm-hmm. I also think it just as another thing that this movie, in no small part due to the, the success of this movie is the reason that The Little Mermaid was able to exist as a movie. Mm. And consequently, then, is the reason that we get the live-action one. The one that also, in terms of like movies that have mermaids in them, that mean the most to me, it would be mm. Splash, the 2023 Little Mermaid, and I guess I'll put the 89 one in the third slot for me. And then for TV, of course, H2O, Just Add Water. Oh. Where does Aquamarine fit in there? Aquamarine mm. is a little bit lower on the list because I didn't actually like them that much. But like that's, <laughs> I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah, it's. Well, I liked it. It's, it's fine. Like, it's fine. It's it's fine. I I enjoy it, but it's um it's not one that I've gone back to like rewatch because it's a story that I think is told better elsewhere, like here. Yeah, it's more about hijinks than talking about like maybe yeah. adjacent trans representation. Exactly. JV, we are. We will be following this episode. You might not be surprised to hear, but this was this was an absolute coincidence with guest Eve Lindley Yay! talking about The Little Mermaid 1989. I am so excited for that episode. I am so excited. Sarah, is there anything is there anything you want to make sure is said about Splash before we uh, ask about daddies? Mm. <laughs> Shecky Green is in this movie. That's really fun. <gasps> yes. I think this is just a great example of how, I mean, this is a, We talk a lot about how media has splintered a lot, especially, you know, really in the last 15 years, but like really since the 80s, when there was such a finite number of movies out, the PG-13 rating didn't exist until Mm. the mid 80s. Mm -hmm. And most movies kind of had to be for everyone, Mm -hmm. which created, you know, real problems in terms of lack of diversity. But also when a movie like that worked, it worked really well. And I feel like there's something something comforting about being inside of that. And I also feel like this is a great example of if you have solid comedic actors, they can really add a lot of, um, a lot of sauce mm-hmm. to your dish, to the movie that you're assembling. And that that's important. I guess like quality, you know, performers that are fun to watch go a really long way. And uh, you know what I was thinking that I would love to see? And I know that Rat Race is technically this, but nobody remembers that movie. I want to see a remake of It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, which coincidentally, according to Quora, who I trust 100%, is the movie that Ron Howard and his wife of 800 years saw on their first date. Oh, wow. Oh, good for them. Oh, <laughs> this is great to know. This is a great Ron Howard fact. I honestly genuinely hope that that sequel that was supposed to start Channing Tatum, but in Madison yeah. role, I kind of just hope that we don't get that. I don't think we need it. Now, having gone back to this, I don't think we need it. I think we're good, actually. No, this is a perfect yeah. movie. Yeah. Leave it be. Uh, okay, well, we know that Alan has a father who, when tasked to talk with his children, just hits him. Um, who, in your view, is the daddy? JV, why don't you kick us off? Hmm. 
I would say Burt Reynolds, who is only mentioned once in this movie. I love that. <laughs> in the throwaway line, we're asking if, if Madison is also seeing Burt Reynolds, which hilarious. It's a reasonable question of any <laughs> woman at the time, to be fair. It's such a funny reference, and I love it very much. Burt Reynolds must have had like a big tabloid year the prior year. It was like he must have been. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. If I had to pick an actual answer, I would probably say, I would definitely say, actually, I would say Freddy mm. due to the uh, just a moment of coming through when it actually matters at the very end. Yeah. And also being absolutely fucking absurd and <laughs> so absurd. <laughs> learning Swedish through porn. Throwing <laughs> coins on the ground. And Freddy cares about love. And that's so important. I love that turn. I agree. I'm going to I'm going with Freddy. I love that like we see him like he he lives a life of vice and Alan thinks that means that he's like kind of like fully sort of like satisfied by way of sort of like body and exploits. And he's the one, you know, who's just like, I just want to see you happy and you are happy and you have to do something in order to like make that happiness possible. And it makes all of the lead up stuff really. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was worthwhile anyway, because it was funny, but it makes everything about his character have a layer that we weren't led to believe prior which i think is a very sweet turn mm -hmm. yeah freddie's the best oh my god sarah marshall who's your daddy and who's your splash daddy oh my gosh my splash daddy is of course madison because in the same way that the most recent time i watched predator i was like this predator has got to be an asshole even for his planet um <laughs> i feel like madison is like a very adventurous excited about the world, like eager to learn and experience person wherever she is. And that's such a cool thing about her. And I love, I don't know, the showing that like feeling confused by the world can be an exciting thing rather than an embarrassing thing. Beautifully said. Yeah, I agree. Oh, JV, thanks for bringing Splash to us. How do people find you? Thank you. Uh, you can find me at Red Black Golden on all the platforms. If I had to pick one that I want people to check out more, it is my YouTube. I'm attempting to build that up a little bit with some fun video essays. Very nice. There's one on mermaids sitting right there if you want to follow a thing from here. Hell yeah. It's just Red Black Golden on YouTube. We'll link it down below. Yeah. Right where you're listening, you'll have more info. Ooh, that was a poem. All right, everybody, that is it for this week's episode of You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Thank you so much to JV Hampton Van Zant for joining us. Thank you to Carolyn Kendrick for producing and editing this episode. Thanks to Miranda Zickler for editing this episode. Thanks to Fresh Lesh for providing the beats that make the episode sound so sweet. We appreciate you, Lesh. Thank you for finding us on the social media network formerly known as Twitter, for finding us on Instagram, for finding us on Blue Sky, for supporting us uh, using Patreon or Apple Podcast subscriptions. Thanks for getting in touch and letting us know how you're doing. We appreciate you. Next week, more mermaids. We're talking about The Little Mermaid from 1989, and we're talking about it with the great Eve Lindley, another wonderful, fabulous friend of the show. I think that's it from me. I hope you don't forget that you, my friend, and I very seriously and very sincerely mean this, that you, my friend, I am not kidding, that you, my friend, are good. Thanks for being here. We appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs>